we're used to having our kids uh, do some music for us. And uh, last week we had a pretty bad stomach situation go through the whole family. And one of them was just still on the tail end of it yesterday enough to where we decided for your all sakes, we, he's, uh, he's watching the live stream in the RV in the parking lot here. So uh, they got to take a little break off. Appreciate my wife's work with them, but deputation has been uh, a blessing. We are understanding why some people talk about the work of it and the, the weariness of it, but at the same time, it has been a blessing to us. We have not really experienced some of the horror stories I've heard from other families. Uh, the Lord has given us the things we needed to keep us humble and keep us trusting Him, but we have not had uh, anything that would has caused us to doubt what we're doing here. But we started uh, deputation about a year ago, a year ago in August, and I had been involved in short-term trips to Cameroon. My dad and I were both in the HVAC trade. My brother Sam has been over there. And uh, it wasn't really until COVID that God really made it very plain that the short-term and the, and the supporting of Cameroon from the states was, was done. And God began to really convince us that we were supposed to be done with what we were doing and head there full-time. And prior to that, he had moved us back as we were seeking the Lord about this. We were actually working down at the Bill Rice Ranch. And I know some of you have been down there. We were on staff there, and that's really had a lot of opportunity running, running mowers and working with guys like Joe Black. And that's God was just working in my heart, renewing that burden for missions. And that's at the point in time the Lord led us up, back up to Wisconsin. We'd moved all over the place. My dad uh, had been in the military. But, you know, when it finally came down to, for us, getting ready to go to Cameroon, God put us in a good church that already has a heart for Cameroon put us there while we went through a lot of things as a family, my dad's death and, and uh, those kinds of things as well as COVID. And then in that situation, uh, in that stable environment there, that's where God called us out. And it's a big change for our family though. A lot went on and I'm kind of, I'll go into some of why I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach at the end of this update here. But deputation is, has been a, a shift for me from working a full-time job and being involved in ministry uh, the, the majority of my adult life, that's how it's been, is just working and then being involved in my church as much as I could to a full-time ministry. is a major change for our family, but God has, has blessed in those things. And uh, we stepped out of our regular job last August and hit the road, and uh, your church took us on last fall. At this point, we are officially, meaning it's actually coming in, we're officially at 65% of our support and uh, unofficially around 70. We've just talked with several pastors even this week. So Lord has blessed us uh, amazingly that way and giving us good meetings and churches that have voted to take us on quickly. So we're praying about, uh, we're, in the, we're in the process right now we're, of making some decisions for when we leave the country and beginning to put the paperwork together and, and just the, the, the uh, do what is necessary to get our family prepared for a departure sometime next year, probably end of summer, early fall. We're Still praying through some of that right now. Have a lot of things to do in the meantime. Uh, Going to be taking a six-week French course here starting in January. It's a, it's a five-day-a-week intensive introductory to French by some very skilled teachers, former missionary, and, and as well as a native speaker down in the Chattanooga area. So we'll be basing our deputation meetings down there. While we, uh, my wife and I, and my oldest son will be in French class. So uh, pray for us during that time. That's going to be a major shift for me. I, I do not have any French language in my background, um, so it's, it's something God has put in my heart and I'm very burdened and excited for. Excited for your church's encouragement and my brother's ministry in, as far as I, I believe a gal from your church is over there helping them. I know that's a big deal to them. Language acquisition is a huge thing. Uh, the last time I was over there, uh, my main experience had been in the English side, and this last trip was in the French side, and when you go to speak somebody, 
and you realize that you cannot speak to them, that they do not understand anything you're saying to them in English, that they do not know anything you're saying and you know nothing they're saying, there's not a lot of ministry that can happen there. And uh, so language acquisition is very, very, very important, and uh, we are putting some details together to be preparing before we go, as well as that first year really be being focused on that. So thank you for your prayers for that. We're also uh, doing some homework, getting ready to get a little bit of training on aviation, just so I can be a little bit of a help to the guys that are there in the, full, in the aviation role. I'm not the pilot, but there's some things I can do here to be prepared so that when I'm there, I can help them stay current on some of their ratings. If you've ever been over in the country, and I know some of you in this church have, you know what it's like to uh, be blessed by the airplane. To Instead of walking for three days, you fly for 30 minutes. And there is a huge uh, uh, potential for that ministry to continue to expand. And thank the Lord for the faithfulness of so many that have helped in that ministry. And uh, for the many national pastors that have benefited by it, as well as the doors that it has opened and continues uh, to affect many there. So we're going to get a little bit of training that way, as well as uh, looking into the radio side of things. There's a, the government recently, kind of unexpectedly, as far as the speed goes, granted four more licenses for radio broadcasts there, uh, but the content is not prepared, and neither is the infrastructure for those new regions. We weren't expecting to happen that fast. So there's, uh, there's, there's this uh, participation among the like-minded independent churches there to be trained and to get a station up in their area and then to work together to produce programming and to keep it all going. And uh, so we're looking into what we can do. Uh, some of my mechanical background, I'll just get some basic training with, uh, there's a ministry here in the States that is very involved in that, uh, Gene Sharp's ministry. So we're praying through some of those things. Second part of, or the end part of deputation is a little different than the first part. The first part we were asking things like, what is deputation anyway? Why do we do it this way? And uh, how is this supposed to work? And how are we going to pay for this? And what are we going to do? And the Lord gently, carefully, and in a wonderful way, connected us with, with uh, wonderful churches that have uh, helped us and encouraged us to where now we are looking into how do we actually move over there. And you know, it's one thing to pray and communicate with missionaries. It's another thing to take your family and go. And uh, I thought I knew a lot about missions, and I, I did. But it's another thing to leave your livelihood and your country and to go full-time, not just on a short trip. So God has been very gracious, though. When you obey the Lord, He leads you, and He provides for you, and He, and he gives you the wisdom you need. And I'm very thankful this has drawn us closer to Him. It has continued to show us our weaknesses and show us our Lord's faithfulness and uh, His ability. So really do appreciate, though, this church's prayer and support for us. And uh, we're, we were... It was interesting to look at the calendar and realize that it was one year ago that we were here. So very much uh, appreciate what you all are doing. It, it's a work of the Lord when a church supports and lets people come in and supports people that are going to another country that have nothing to do with what's going on with your work here. You know, as much work as it is to have a church and a ministry in an area, to be then involved in people starting churches across the world that some of you will never see. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of faith in the Word of God to be giving and encouraging and communicating to take your time and resources to support foreign missionaries. And I really do appreciate that. appreciate the encouragement this church has been already. So we'll be at the table. We're going to stick around a little bit and, and chat. But I wanted to uh, just give you a basic update on, on deputation there. But turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 tonight. Mark chapter 1.
as we have traveled and gone through the different changes, we were uh, a family, had a family business, and that was our identity. My dad had been military. That had been our identity. Then we were self-employed family for a long time, and, and uh, there were a lot of things that were just stable parts of our life. A lot of that all changed, and uh, is, is, is God taught me some lessons during some of those changes over the last five years. Some of those very lessons he taught me have helped me as we as a family have stepped into the constantly changing world of deputation. And deputation further will prepare us for the constant changes we'll be facing as we get to know life in Cameroon. I'm thankful, though, that Jesus never changes, that he never changes, and he never will. He doesn't, uh, he's not affected by our culture, by our politics, by the sin in our world. He, he's not surprised by anything the devil throws at us. He's not surprised by the, the, uh, the, uh, the failures of his people. He is constant. And he has given us all that we need to know. Maybe not all that we want to know, but all that we need to know in the Word of God. And he never changes, and he never will. And as we have been in a constant set of changing circumstances the last five years, God has really brought home this reality as Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Literally the perfecter. He's the one that we look to constantly. You know, how do we know what to do over in Cameroon? How am I supposed to go over there and figure out how to actually reach people in a culture that I didn't grow up in? Do I study the culture there? Yes, you need to be aware of the culture. I need to know the language. But ultimately, it's by looking to Jesus and specifically to the Word of God for how to do what we're supposed to do. And, you know, it says, consider Him. That's what we're called to do as believers, to look to Him. And tonight, I just want to take a moment... And out of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1 and 2, just take some time in a busy week and in our busy schedule to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, to look at his earthly ministry and just remember a few characteristics of it, not all of it, and maybe hopefully tonight uh, this would be an encouragement as it is to me, to you, to remember who Jesus is in the midst of a busy time or a changing time or a difficult time. I don't know the burdens that are in the room. I know Wednesday nights for me were uh, uh, usually challenging. I'd come in and uh, have just worked on something and either been successful or not successful, but I thankfully had the habit of stopping in time to get to church on Wednesday to get the encouragement I usually needed. You, you know when you don't want to be in church on Wednesday that you probably needed to be in church on Wednesday. And that's the way it was for me regularly, and I thank the Lord for that. But Mark chapter 1, I want to just look at a few characteristics of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Maybe not what you're thinking for a missions message, but something that has encouraged me on the deputation trail regularly and that I uh, had not preached in a while, and as I prayed about it this afternoon, really felt like we ought to look at this message tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this here. Father, we do just commit this time again to you. Thank you that you're here with us, Lord, that you're wanting to do a special thing in our midst because you love us because you have a purpose for us, and you want to use us, Lord, to be an encouragement and a blessing and to get the gospel to the lost around us and to be an encouragement to one another and to other believers around us. Lord, we pray that you'd work in our midst here. Take your word and by your spirit, Lord, work in our hearts and, and encourage us and equip us for what you have for us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1 introduces us to Jesus. We could say many things. I'm just going to park on a couple specifics for tonight, but verse number 15 or 14 says, Now after that John was put in prison, 
Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And there's much that could be said, but I simply want to point out tonight the ministry of preaching. You know that Jesus Christ was a preacher? All through the gospels you see the phrase, Jesus came preaching. Jesus as he preached in their synagogue. And this idea of preaching is not just communication, it is, a, it is an authoritative delivery of a, of a, from, from the king, essentially. You are the king's herald announcing something that is fact. You are a tidings bearer and you are declaring it in a, in a strong, clear way. It's not just a uh, Bible study one-on-one. It is a little bit of a different ministry than that. It is a biblical ministry, though. And I just want to remind us of that fact that Jesus was a preacher. Why, why does that matter? You know, uh, as believers, when we go through different changes in our life, sometimes we ask, why do we do what we do? Why are we doing what we're doing? What should we do in this circumstance? For us going to Cameroon, how are we going to put together a ministry model? Uh, COVID, death in the family, change of circumstances, what are we going to continue to do? I'm thankful that there are people who understand the Scripture and are committed to the reality that biblical preaching is important. Do you know, there's a lot of people in this area that if they came in here tonight, they would look at what we were doing and say, what are these people doing? They got a raised platform. They're all sitting there. There's a young guy in a suit and tie on a Wednesday night, and he's, he's gesturing wildly at them, telling them things from the Bible. And they'd be like, what are these people doing? There's a lot of guys I've worked with, coworkers. Remember, one situation, we moved to Milwaukee, got to know my coworkers, told them a little bit about myself. I told them that I went to church and a little bit about myself, and they said, oh, that sounds horrible. We feel sorry for you that you have to do that, that you have to go to church. They had no clue what was going on inside our church. There are many people that do not understand the ministry of preaching, and many believers do, but they never really think about it. Do you know that we're gathered here together, that people pay to build a building and keep the lights on and maintained for a reason, not just because we've always done it? You know that in Ann Arbor, it gets cold, and I'm very thankful that you all have a building that usually has heat. <laughs> Joe and I were playing around with a boiler. I'm not a boiler expert. I was a forced air guy, but we were looking at the boiler this afternoon. I'm, I'm thankful that there are those who understand that it's important to have a place to gather, to, yes, to encourage one another and to get together, but for the ministry of preaching and the worship services that we do. Do you know Jesus told his disciples... And I'll read this for you. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is explaining to Cornelius about how Jesus came and preached. And he told Cornelius, who is a a soldier, he's a Gentile, and he's explaining to him about the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he says to Cornelius in verse 36 of Acts chapter 10, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He references that Jesus was a preacher. Verse 37, that word, I say, ye know, which was published, that's another word similar to preaching, throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And then you look down at verse 42 and it says, And he, that's Jesus, commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. The Bible says that to the lost, foolish, that preaching is foolishness, but that God uses it. And it may not be something we fully understand, but I am committed to a preaching ministry in Cameroon because... The Bible teaches it, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for those times I came in on a Wednesday night not wanting to be in church where the Word of God was preached, sometimes well, sometimes not so well, 
but I'm thankful for it. And, the, and it always, without a fail, when I committed myself to being under it and listening to it, and uh, many a time bouncing around in my truck or on a mower where I put some preaching on, God has used it in my life, and I'm very thankful for it. And I just would say, when you look at why we do what we do, do we have an understanding that these things are tied to what the Bible says? I'm thankful for the ministry of Jesus for his preaching ministry. Number two here, verse 17, it says, And Jesus said unto them of Mark chapter 1, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Do you know that Jesus had a ministry of calling and making disciples? Do you know that as believers, if we want to decide what is normal, what we're supposed to do, what, what is the right thing to do, how do you start a new ministry in Cameroon, what should I be really committed to in my priorities, you let the Word of God say what it says, and you look to Jesus. Jesus made disciples. And the Great Commission tells us, Jesus said, Go, preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel in all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So literally, everything Jesus told His disciples to do, those disciples were to then reach and ground their converts in exactly what Jesus had told them to do, Basically, the idea being giving the gospel and discipling was not just Jesus and the disciples' job, it's every believer's job. Because every believer is to be grounded in what Jesus taught. And this idea of, of making disciples is, is not something that we necessarily automatically do. It's not easy. It's not easy to work with people when they don't listen or they don't understand or they're maybe even initially you don't even think they're interested. But it's not easy. It's not something we do because it's easy. It's something we do because it's what Jesus did and told us to do. I grew up in a, in a self-employed situation. Uh, and I, growing up in the trades, there was a, a phrase you heard all the time, which was, you could all finish it for me and I'll, and I'll ask you to do that. Good help is hard to find. You all knew that. You know why it's hard to find? Because, number one, people are, can be obnoxious. Young men can be knuckleheads and hard to teach. They either think they know everything or think they can't do anything or shouldn't have to do anything. And it can be challenging to work with people. And you can invest something in somebody and then they leave and go start their own trade or they, they swindle you and go do something else. It can be hard to work with people. But you know that we work with people because the Bible would teach it, not because it's easy. I thank the Lord they had the opportunity to work with my dad and he taught me and it wasn't necessarily easy for him. The first time I ever worked with my dad was because I was driving my mother nuts as a homeschooled 13-year-old, not doing what she told me to do, and she said, Christopher, get in the car. It's like, this is a new one. I'm not sure what's going on here. And she didn't tell me what was going on, but all of a sudden I saw my dad's work van up in the, in the next neighborhood, and she pulled up, get out. Okay, I got out, and she took off. <laughs> Not a word to my dad. I stood there for about five, ten minutes, not sure what was going on, and my dad comes out to get a tool. Oh, what are you doing here? How, how did you get Mom, Mom thought you needed some help, so she dropped me off, you know. So that was how I got introduced to working with my dad, and it wasn't necessarily easy for him. I've been there. I've had, to, had guys assigned to me by my boss, teach this guy how to do what you do and get the job done in the same amount of time. doesn't usually happen that way. When, he, when it's a time crunch, I usually say, stay out of my way, let me do my job, I'll teach you what I can, but we got to get this done. Because it's not easy to teach people, is it? And if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus, if we want to know what our priorities ought to be, if we want to have the normal, we need to let the Bible say what it says, and we need to be committed to a ministry that teaches people, that works with people. 
We all know, if you're here on a Wednesday night, you know what it's like to come to church. You've learned that. You understand the benefits of that. But are you as equally committed to the fact that God has called you as a child of God to be teaching what you have been taught to somebody else? To be passing it on, whether it be to your own children or to that lost person that you're trying to work with. And it's not an easy thing. But Jesus called and made disciples and he told them to do the same thing. And he tells us to do the same. It's not easy, but we do it because it's what the Bible teaches. Let's jump here for time. Verse number 32. So many things we could look at about the Lord tonight. But verse number 32, it says, And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Verse number 40, And there came a leper unto him, beseeching him and kneeling down and to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Do you know that the Lord Jesus is moved by compassion? He doesn't just have compassion. His compassion moves him to action. Do you know that tonight if you're a child of God, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and he is a God of compassion? The Bible says he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Do you know, maybe you've been in a situation and, and you know what is right, but it's not been easy to do it uh, and you just can get discouraged sometimes. Or you go through a death in the family. Or you go through a loss of a, of a, of a job situation or a changing circumstance and it just hurts and it's hard. You know what does something in your life where knowledge of what is right and wrong doesn't always do something? It's compassion. You know, I thank the Lord that he loved me before I even knew him while I was yet a sinner. And I thank the Lord that today, still, he is a God that is moved by compassion. And I think if we're going to remember who the Lord is, yes, he was a preacher. Yes, he was a discipler. And there are a lot of other things we could have looked at. His itinerant ministry, his authority over the wicked one, the fact that he was a preacher, but he was moved by compassion. If you want to reset to normal, and I use that expression, as an HVAC guy, I had to come in all the time, and not just that, but all the time. You come in and something's broken. The idea is, what is normal? Figure out what it's supposed to be, and you're putting it back to what it ought to be. And that's what we often have to do. We have to let ourselves be put back together according to what the Word of God says is right. And I just have this question. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ as compassionate toward you? Towards those you're in a conflict with? Towards those you're frustrated at? This week in uh, Detroit, I got a good old Detroit reaming by a guy who apparently I had cut in the gas line at Costco. And, uh, you know, you pull into Costco and there's 50 cars all funneling into five different lines. And apparently, five minutes prior to me getting out of my car, this guy explained the whole thing in detail to me at the top of his lungs with a lot of expletives about what I had done. And what do you, what do, you do towards those people? You know, there's not much you can do. Eh? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And that man's wrath did nothing in that situation, but it, it reminded me of how messed up and hurting some people are, that that's what their life is about, that getting cut in gas line would cause you to uh, freak out like that. Compassion. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of some of these difficult situations? I thank the Lord as we went through different things. There were people who came into my life and just put their arm around me or texted me or emailed me and said, Brother, I love you. Praying for you. Uh, others that took long trips, and I remember even your pastor being one of them, drove all the way out 
to the Quad City area when we were burying my dad. And there were people that showed up to that funeral. We had never, no expectations that they would come. But they just wanted to come and say, we're sorry. And we don't have any answers for you, but we want you to know we care for you. Do you know that goes a long way? And I'd say that if you're looking to the Lord, you need to both receive that for yourself, but recognize that others need to experience that from you. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, in a local church setting, Peter says to them, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. That's the command to us in a local church setting, where you know each other, where you see each other's shortcomings. We're commanded to love as brethren, be courteous, be compassionate, because Jesus Christ is compassionate. And lastly, Mark chapter 2 Hopefully tonight you know this story. This is the man sick with a palsy. We could tell this story in detail. I just heard another preacher preach on a different element from this, and I loved it. I loved listening to a message preached from a passage that I know very well, that I first heard probably from a, from a, neighbor, from a child evangelism fellowship uh, curriculum that my mom was teaching, Betty Lucan's flannel graph. That's how I first heard this story. And I heard him preach, and he, it was a blessing. There's, there's uh, wonderful details in this story. For time, though, I want us to look at this simple reality in this story. Here's a man who's sick. He's born of four. They carry him to the place where Jesus is preaching. The Bible says it's packed out, and they could not come nigh to Jesus for the press. It was so full, nobody could get in. So put yourself in this situation. Jesus preaching to a packed house. We see from the passage, for, we won't read it, but... There's all kinds of different people in there. There's religious leaders. There's people. You know there's people who got there three, early, three, three hours early to get a good seat. It's packed. And these people can't get in with a sick man, so they start breaking open the roof. Now put yourself in there. If you were the guy that owned that property, and the roof gets broken up, and it's a packed place, this is quite a scene here, and then this man gets lowered, and there's an incredible physical issue suddenly presented to you. So you have this crowd you have who knows what kind of commotion in this mixed audience. Then you have an amazingly horrible, sick condition presented. And yet, what is Jesus' first statement to this man? When we go to Africa, we'll be presented with economic challenges, real physical needs all around us, physical needs in our own home. There's going to be poverty all around us. There's going to be need for just clean water. There's going to be spiritual darkness and need for teaching and preaching. What is the priority, though? And look at Jesus' response to this man. Verse number 5, he says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that caused quite a stir here. But Jesus said to them in verse 8, He said, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Which of the two would be an easier thing to deal with? A man who is sick, who cannot move, or the man's sin problem? Both of them are impossible in the human realm. They're both impossible. Jesus, though, in order to demonstrate his authority, he says that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this man in this fashion. The point being that if, if, if you go through difficulties and you're trying to remember what is important, look at Jesus' priority in this situation. He healed the man so that people would know 
that he had the authority to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. If you're sitting here as a child of God or as a lost person, is it foremost in your mind the reality that Jesus Christ can forgive sin? That he is the only one who can forgive sin? Do you know there is nothing else? There is no economic solution to the sin problem. There is no education solution to the sin problem. There is nothing but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he has the authority and the right to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Do you know 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do you know he has the right to do that? I think sometimes we forget this. And we fail to recognize that the biggest problem in the room is not ultimately, uh, I don't feel good, or I need to learn this, or I need to make more money. It's, it's usually that we have a sin nature, and we're weak. And without the Lord Jesus, we have nothing. And I think if we forget that, we've really forgotten who we are and what we're doing. That we have the solution to the main problem we see around us, no matter whether you're in Ann Arbor or in Cameroon, it's that men have sin, a sin problem that cannot be dealt with outside of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and they need to know Jesus. I think as believers, we need to know Jesus. We need to look at Him regularly and recognize that He has the ability to deal with that habitual sin problem in your life. He has the ability to deal with the real problem your neighbor has, which is not a conflict with you. It's, it's that they don't have a solution for their sin. And you may not know what to do, but the reality is, is you can pray, you can walk with the Lord yourself, and you can be an example to those around you that there is a way to have a relationship with a living God because our high priest has made a way into that relationship because he shed his blood, he died for us, and he rose again. When we go to Cameroon, we've got to keep focused on these things. On deputation, you put six people in a tin can bouncing down the road and it brings out issues, right? You've got to know how to deal with your sin. You've got to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is a God of compassion, You've got to remember what your priorities are. I'll, I'll close with this maybe silly illustration, but when I was growing up, I come from a family of five, and I'm number four. I'm the fourth. I'm the third son, which means I had two older brothers. And if you're an older sibling in here, you know who you are and the horrible things you've done in your life, right? You know the things you've done to your younger siblings. And my brothers loved to push my buttons. And one of the buttons they got on when I was probably eight years old is they got on this thing that I was adopted. And they would tell me that I was adopted and that they came out to go to church one day and there I was on the porch and mom and dad felt bad for me and took me in. And they've been stuck with me ever since, you know. Then they changed it and said, we found you when we were out picking pumpkins and you were out there in this patch wandering around naked and they took you, took you in. And I, I hated these things. I hated this. It didn't make any sense. I didn't know where it was. But they would just rib me with this and I've you know I'm not the comeback guy so I would no no I'm not you know and I didn't know what else to say but I remember this time we went to Ohio where my dad was raised and we were there and uh, spent some time looked at some family pictures and some videos visiting my grandparents and a couple weeks later took this long for it to hit me but I'm sitting in the car we were leaving the grocery store where we lived there I can remember it like yesterday I'm looking in that side mirror looking at my face, and it occurred to me that I looked just like my dad and that I looked just like my granddad. In fact, it was, it's, to this day, that's the, I, I've walked into, I've, I met some family that I'd never met before that knew my granddad, and they said I looked like Otha. They said, look, it's Otha. Okay, so I'm sitting in this car looking at this mirror, and I realize I look just like my dad. 
And I pulled my head back in and I yelled something at them. You know, I'm not adopted. You guys are. And it, you know, it never bothered me though after that. They could pull that one out and that, that trick never worked anymore because it was settled. I knew who I was. I knew who my father was. And it made a lot of things a lot simpler in life. And I would just say tonight, whether it's the changes of deputation or the changes we're going to face in Cameroon or the changes you're facing in your life, in our country, in our culture, look to Jesus. Know who He is. Know what the Word of God says. Put your confidence in that and let that be your confidence. It takes away a lot of things. You may not know how this is getting solved or what's going to happen here or here or here, but you can know the Lord and you can know that He doesn't change and you can introduce others to the one who loves you, who forgives sin, you name it. Let the Scripture describe it and you can know it about the Lord. And I would just say tonight, have you forgotten who you are? Have you allowed the changes of the, circum of the world around you or your own life to get you off what is true? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And there is not a situation that you're dealing with tonight or that your neighbor has that looking to Jesus can't solve if we'd look to Him and believe it and let it have its way in our life. And I trust tonight that that would be you. Let's bow for prayer here. I'll let uh, Pastor close us. Thank you for your good attention tonight. Let's take a by nice close to think about what was just preached. Change can be difficult, but Jesus helps us keep our equilibrium. Jesus is the constant. Jesus never changes. I appreciate that so much, and that means a lot to me personally. I have never done changes well. Major life changes and me have never mixed too well, and that has always, whenever I've had a, a difficulty with any transition or change, it has always been a revelation that I've taken my eyes off the Lord in those moments and I need to draw close to him. I'm going to ask, maybe could uh, Laura, could, would you mind playing something while we just take a moment before the Lord and allow him to work in our lives to get a glimpse of his face, uh, whatever you're going through, whatever transition you're dealing with or, or change or just trial, uh, to just again realize that you have solid ground uh, in the Lord Jesus. Let's take a moment before the Lord before we dismiss here here tonight <clears throat> You can look this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Uh, you know you can lose your job, but Jesus didn't fail, and he's still there. You can get a, a scary health diagnosis uh, with uh, a, a next 12 months of
who knows what, uncertainties and doctor's appointments and, and whatnot, and Jesus is still there. Uh, if we can keep our eyes on him, that's how we keep our equilibrium, as this life can be so disorienting, and we can get all, uh, just feel like we're tossed to and fro. I appreciate that challenge, Chris. Thank you so much for that. Good to hear from them. Thank you, Laura, as well.